You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment. And I can tell you, you want to listen on to hear what she has to say about the best day to make an offer. I think it's really important to, when you're going to make an, uh, an offer, to be careful and mindful of when you're going to do it. You don't want to do it on a Friday afternoon when the agent is then going to use your offer to tell everybody else at the Saturday's open house inspection, this is where we're up to at the moment, as much as they may say they've got all good faith to keep that confidential. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbbell of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. This week, we're picking the brains of Georgie Bates, Director and Sales Agent at Cunningham's Manly in Sydney's Northern Beaches. Georgie started in real estate around the time I did, back around 2000, and the difference being that after a short stint in the inner west, where I stayed, Georgie headed off to God's country. Now, she's an enthusiastic property investor herself with first-hand experience designing and building her own family home in Manly, and she's always keen to share her experience in order to advise clients. And something that attracted my attention is that she embraces innovation and sells approximately 30% of her properties via Facebook. So we'll certainly want to know more about why that works. Welcome, Georgie. And thanks so much for having me, Veronica. Great to be here. Thanks, Georgie. And by the way, great surname. Bates. Yes, very strong oh, surname. you guys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Georgie, we're just going to talk a bit about Facebook here. I know that you use a lot of property marketing and use a lot of social media. Can you talk to us a little bit about your story there and, and how you're doing things differently to a lot of other real estate agents? Mm, something I felt very passionate about and saw a big need for it, particularly a few years ago when we were working in such a hot, you know, market for Mm -hmm. buyers and wanting to get the heads up on properties before they came to market. So constantly all the, my phone was always ringing. Can you please call me when something comes up? And I want to, I want to be able to be that agent that gets back to people and alerts them. So I found it as an avenue for me, having a Facebook page, being able to free, like I call it a teaser post give the buyers the heads up that a property is coming to market. Mm-hmm. So rather than promising everybody that I would call them, mm-hmm. I assured them I just I couldn't possibly service the amount of, you know, thousands of people out there that were looking at the time, but to say the best way for you to keep an eye on the market is follow my Facebook page. So as soon as I listed a property for sale, I'd be able to put a little inkling, a little, uh, you know, some details about what that property was. Might just be two-liner of how many bedrooms, bathrooms, the suburb that it's in and a price bracket point. And then it'd be stay tuned. So enough as a teaser post to give them the heads up, then they would then send me a message going, bang, when can I get through this one? And they loved it. Just yeah. It's interesting you say there about this, the, one of the big benefits was scale, how you could reach a lot of people and, and keep them up to date. Is that one of your biggest challenges when you're a real estate agent? No, you know, you've got lots of buyers for hot property, just put a little inquiry on real estate accommodate And how do you actually sort through what's actually a real buyer or not? Yeah, good question. Um, Well, on Facebook, 
obviously these are people that are genuinely interested in the property market and are looking. So they're often sending me messages behind the scenes saying, this is my criteria, this Mm. is what I'm after, which is also a big help for me because then when I get a listing, I can go back through those messages and identify who these people are. Plus it helps because their photos are often there on Facebook too. That's actually is quite interesting because it certainly is a complaint that I hear a lot from buyers is that, oh, sales agents, you know, they say they'll contact me and they never do, you know. And I keep saying to them, well, at the end of the day, they, particularly in a hot market, they're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of inquiry. It's actually physically impossible to manage that themselves. Mm. Well, know? that's so, where a great team comes into place as well. Yeah, absolutely. So but, then- but you're using social media and technology and new marketing platforms to actually not only serve a marketing purpose, but actually a business efficiency purpose as well, which is quite smart, really. Yeah. And it's a lot more personal. It really is. Because you can... Well, you I'm can... laughing, but <laughs> it's slightly... It's, it, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, in a way, it's not personal because it's media, but... yeah. Like you're saying, it's more it's personal in because they've subscribed to your page. Is that what you mean? And yeah, and personal that you're again being able to see their photos. You can actually go and look them up on Facebook and get to understand a little bit more about them as well. And then you know, look, we're all known for it. It's not uncommon to be put the kids to bed and then at night time you're getting onto Facebook. It's often then when you're stopped, you're relaxed, you're not caught up in the go 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 throughout the day, where you can send a little bit more of a message back saying, "Hey, actually." I do have something coming up, yeah, I'll make contact or let's talk during the week or I know I just find it a lot more. Per- and they really appreciate that contact rather than just an automatic reply email right, online. Yeah. The generic to say, response. Yeah. So do you find that that changes the whole relationship with buyers? Yep, completely. Um, the amount of buyers that I get calling me for advice through other agents open house inspections, which then I'd go and refer a good uh, buyer's agent as yourself. <laughs> oh, thank you. But, ooh, no, it is. It mm. really is. There's a um, there's a, a really big relationship built on trust because I've often given them the advice of, okay, this one's coming up, but you are going to have to act quickly on this. This is my recommendations. This is what I suggest you do if you're going to want to try and take it off the market. If they haven't done that for one reason or another, once the result has come through, they've known that bang, that's exactly what Georgie said. And if anything, it may have gone for a bit more. So next time around, you know, you're building that, you're constantly building that trust. And that the more they see you out there in the marketplace, obviously that's another um, relationship builder because you're seeing them all the time at yeah. open house inspections. Yeah. So are you actually, are you posting just on property or are you posting personal stuff about yourself as well? No, no, no. Gosh, no. No, <laughs> no. So I've got my own personal for family mm. and friends, but this is purely a business Facebook page. Yeah. And it is interesting because we haven't had this discussion yet with anybody else about that different level of engagement. So it goes from being, you know, in a, in a platform such as Facebook to being a much more individual, as you're saying, you message them directly and they ask you specifically for advice about other listings. And where I guess where do you draw the line or, or, what's, or how do you give advice? Tell me. So if someone asks you about another listing that another agent has, what process do you go through in terms of helping them? Um, Look, it'll really depend on what my knowledge is of that property. So I've been selling around my core area, around Manly Fairlight, for 17 years now. So I do know, um, particularly in Fairlight, I've been through nearly, you know, probably three quarters of the homes there. I've sold (laughs) some of them three or four times. So, yes, I can confidently, when a competitor puts a property on the market there, I've usually been through the home or will know it. Mm-hmm. So I can offer that advice. Sometimes they're asking for advice of properties that I wouldn't be as confident 
and again, depending on depending on time, I will I'll ask other team members within Cunninghams if anyone else knows about this property or can give any guidance. So, is this sort of advice they're asking about about price? Yeah, price um, thoughts on the actual, you know, what to look out for. Sometimes, both you know, buyers are so emotional and are all guns blazing to buy something and they sometimes just need that second, okay, hang on, before we go into this, this is a big commitment. It's a big sum of money they're about to put down on the table. They're nervous. It's not something they do every day. So just having that second, I guess that second ear to go, okay, is there anything we've missed here? And it's not, you know, I don't want to put them off. I still want to give them confidence. But I will, if I don't feel, I always make them I try and get them to look at going, okay, this is a hot market now, but how is this property going to perform when the market changes? Mm. And when we're in a challenging market and it's facing south or it's dark or it doesn't have parking or a balcony. Mm. So I think it's very easy in a hot market to get caught up and not see any faults with the property, but when the tables turn. So I just remind them from that I guess that skill set of the different work environments Voice that of I've reason you're trying and to And I think yeah. that's a, that's a really amazing little tip there for for buyers actually because you know I talk about something very similar is it doesn't really matter how a property performs in a boom market but what happens when things go the other way you know who's going to want to buy it you know how's it going to defend itself against more property that's on the market and if you ever have to sell it one day you're going to easily sell it or is it going to be quite difficult and it gives you a pretty good idea of whether it's a good property or not one thing you talked about there is being an expert within the market and you're helping buyers kind of make better decisions. One of the things that a lot of buyers do is they don't know what they don't know. And can you maybe just give us an example of something, say, for example, in Fairlight that happens in the area that might affect streets or, or, or roads that a lot of buyers who haven't bought in Fairlight before just wouldn't know about? Is there anything that you could Well, kind I think, of think aspect. Of? Aspect's a big one. So Fairlight, you've got the harbour side, which... Mm-hmm. Um, spectacular harbour views, but it's also south-facing and it Mm -hmm. cops the storms and the wind. Mm -hmm. Often some of the blocks there are sloping, whereas on the northern side there's less apartments. It's more houses. It's very family-friendly. You've got more level blocks and you've got the beautiful north-facing. So although you may not have views, again, it's something that I'll look at people's situation for now, but what happens, you know, 10 years' time you might have children. You're going to want to be able to walk to the school. You're going to want to be able to go to the parks. You know, age, depending on their age and yeah. how 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 long is this home going to service them for? It's not uncommon for me to get calls on, do I renovate or do I sell? So that's, again, looking at everybody's where are they at this stage in life. And, and commonly I'll say you're not going to find this again in Fairlight. Put a second story on, stay here, don't. Yeah. Don't move. It's interesting also you're talking about when a buyer asks you about, you know, for advice on a property that you're not selling and you can slow them down and say, well, hang on a minute, let's take a moment. What's appealing to you here and now? Is it because the market's hot, therefore you're overlooking some of these negatives or, you know, are you overly emotional or, you know, all those sort of questions that you ask. Now, how do you manage that when you're the one selling the south-facing property? Well, when I'm selling the south-facing property, it's all about those views. (laughs) So, you know, and it's relative again, Mm. of course, Mm. as much as working on the northern side and I love all the the level northern family homes, I'm a, you know, I've got a family myself. However, 
you can't beat having a harbour view. So, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, when I'm selling a product, I'm selling it for my vendor. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be talking buyers out of not going for that home. What was really interesting to me through that comment was a lot of people when they're trying to buy, it's, it's okay, we really like the property, but then we want to live there, you know, we're sold on the actual property, but we're no idea on what price we want to pay. Mm-hmm. And so they start looking for comparables. Yeah. But if someone's looking fair light, mm-hmm. are they comparing to the north side or the south side? And I imagine you get that as a problem quite regularly where mm. buyers are potentially using wrong comparables on what's actually something worth. Yeah, look, occasionally I will, I'll really sound out what their knowledge is. And quite often, you know, you're on the property circuit, you're very familiar with all the buyers coming through your open houses. I in Fairlight can, I have an incredible memory for faces. I will just not forget a face from 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. But when a new face comes through one of my open house inspections, I welcome them and say, are oh, you new to the property circuit in Fairlight? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That's a bit disconcerting, I will, isn't it? <laughs> um, oh, it is. It's a nice little connection, though. I go, you haven't been looking long here, have you? And they go, oh, no, actually, da-da-da-da. Truman Show. But <laughs> I, will, I will often either meet them in the office and sit them down where there's not the distractions of the open house inspection. So I'll invite them into the office and sit down and print off floor plans or get the, my laptop out and show them so they can really look closely at and I'll say, look, this is the aspect because, of course, a buyer is always going to, they'll see things that they may not have been through the property before but they'll see the icons that it had parking but they won't be aware that that was a 13-square-metre car space that you could barely open up both of the, Mm. you know, the car Mm -hmm. doors Mm -hmm. or the access into the parking, which is that's all the detail I know behind the scenes. So, And I will either get them into the office or I'll get them in my car and we'll drive around and I'll educate them about the area. Now, what's in that for you, though? Because if they're not, they don't have a property to sell, for instance, that's a lot of investment in your time. I mean, and and I'm not trying to be smart here, but that is a, a, a massive, yeah, it's a big investment in your time and knowledge for a buyer when ultimately end of the day you've only got the properties you've got to sell, right? Yeah, but at the end of the day I want to sell them and make sure I've got the maximised price and I want the buyers to have confidence in paying what I feel they need to be paying for the property. So, sorry, it's, I'm, I'm yeah coming at it slightly differently. So this uh, is a buyer that's specifically on a particular property that you've got sale this you wouldn't offer this for a buyer that called you and said you know I'm looking at a property around the corner that you don't have on the market it's not your yep. listing you know they're two different levels of service I just want to double oh, check yeah, yeah. <laughs> look I will it's not calls that I often get to yeah, be okay. doing that anyway yeah. but um no if I've if I can I will find time mm. and I will and it does it all come most of my businesses probably I'm would be 90% of it is repeat referral so from what I've done back in the day and always treated buyers with respect and try to educate them. And and I am, I'm really, I truly believe in the area that we live in, like the Northern Beaches, Manly Fair, like where, yeah. why would you want to live anywhere else? Passionate advocate. So <laughs> I am. I mean, it's a, I'm lucky. I've got something I can sell that I do believe in. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think a lot of buyers are afraid of, say, meeting someone like you because they're wanting to, to meet an agent. They want to learn about an area, but they shouldn't be afraid, right? Because you've got 17 years of experience that, yeah. you know, you can coach them through. Yeah, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't. Really, uh, no matter where, for any buyers, they should really do their research. And and it's so available now. You know, you go on to Rate My Agent and all the different websites out there of who's doing what. You want to be talking to the people that have got a history of selling and that know the area. Yeah. So, George, on your website, on your bio, you talk about you believe yourself to be an expert negotiator. 
And I wonder, you know, can you just enlighten us about what you think makes an expert negotiator? Oh, good question again, Chris. <laughs> um, an expert negotiator, look, I think as an experienced um, agent and being in the industry for quite some time now, I listen to our newer recruits or other people in the office space and to see how they're handling a situation. Or a lot of people will come and ask for some advice on a situation. And I find that I have to have an answer that they haven't even thought about getting a result. So that's where I guess the expert part of it Mm. comes into it. Could you give us an example there, like where, you know, I I guess you've changed the situation or some advice you would give? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there was um, a situation recently where one of my colleagues was working on it with me. And um, so we're both dealing with buyers and we had a buyer that was basically, we had uh, one buyer that came in with a contract at 2.75. The vendor was prepared to sell at 2.7. This buyer came in, contract in the hand. These are my terms. These are my conditions exchange today. And then we had another buyer who was known to me. So I've known these people, again, being in Fairlight, I've given them advice on their home. They've been talking about putting a second story on or do we stay, do we do we stay, do we go? Anyway, they ended up being interested in this property as well. They weren't ready to do it that moment, that day. It was a big call, but for them, if they were to go to 2.8 million, so we're talking quite a substantial amount of money more, I would talk to and there was no guarantee because I had vendors that were in another country. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of trust and a little bit of risk here, but I suggested us exchanging on a cooling off. So we did. We exchanged on a cool off that day. With the 2.75? No, with 2.8 million. Okay. So, again, it was another $50,000 more. My colleague that was working on it was ready to do it, the deal with the 2.75. She came back to me and say, this party can't do it. They can't they can't exchange or they're not, they're not ready. They're not in a position. So once mm-hmm. I, you know, digged a little bit deeper to go, well, hey, why don't we look at it at this avenue, you know, they've got to pay a premium to, to achieve that. But that's sort of an example, I guess. So no, it is. A, it's, a, it's a really good example. So the person paying 2.8 had the risk of if in the next five business days, if mm-hmm. they decided that they didn't want the property, yep. all they would lose is like, 0.25%. So in yeah. this scenario, it's like seven thousand dollars. Correct. So you I'm had enough. Good with the numbers there, Chris. <laughs> yes, you know, it's always my thing. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess. Um, so you've 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 given that they're interested, but they're not actually sold on the property yet. They need a bit of time to think it through. No, the, they want the property. They don't have their finance in place. Okay, so they interesting. Yeah. They've got a property to sell. So they've got a, you know, the headspace of being told this one day we've got a we've got an offer and on a signed contract that the vendor's prepared to sell. Mm-hmm. Oh, we really want to buy it, but we can't do it today. We've mm-hmm. got to work out, you know, can you come back, tell us what our property's worth, et cetera, et cetera. And I already had a, a very good idea of what their property value was. So again, I had confidence. I said, what are you basing it on? What is the minimum that you are buying this property? I wanted to make sure that they weren't basing it on an unrealistic number because I wouldn't have given my vendors advice to go with that. If everything didn't align, I would have, you know, preferred to have gone with the the bird in the hand that was still at a level that the vendors were happy with. So it's about... But it's really understanding the situation and... Yeah, and experience judgment and asking the right questions to assess the risk. Mm. That's what you're talking about, isn't it? Just while we're there, do you think that the buyer was acting a bit emotionally because there was a, another offer on the table and they felt like they were going to miss out. Do you think 2.8 was a fair price or do you think that they at that stage felt, 
oh, we're going to lose this, so we better make an offer without our finance approved. Oh, they've been looking on and off for a long time. There was a lot of emotive marketing with that property as well, and I think the situation, their daughter goes to the school, which is at the end of the, the street, yeah. and just literally walk out the door. So there are a lot of things there. It would have helped of knowing, like, you've got to make a decision because there's the sort of people that can take a long time to yeah. make decisions. So it had to, yeah, there was a bit more pressure. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to, I'm very conscious of also putting pressure on people that then they can go, oh, and that's why I don't usually negotiate on a weekend, mm-hmm. you know, because I find you can negotiate, then they've slept on it and it's Sunday and next thing it's Monday morning and they go, oh, actually, we think we've gone a bit too hard and fast on this. Yeah. So uh, for them, having looked for such a long amount of time, this property really suited them to the ground. It was a, yeah, it was, they, they wanted to buy it. Interesting because one of the things I've been watching in the market at the moment, and we all know it's slowed down, we're what we're recording this in May 2008, and I would say the peak of the market really was a year ago now, really much. And so at the moment, some auctions are competitive, some properties mm. get competitive and others don't. Part of it is the property itself, properties that are facing south or dark or pokey or whatever are going to struggle now. Uh, in other times, it could be that agents misjudge the price and actually quote it a little bit high. Yeah, absolutely. And it does happen. A lot of people just always think that agents underquote as a matter of course and so they add 10% to everything and mm. it doesn't actually work that way. But one of the things that I've been looking at and I've realised is that buyers are more at risk of overpaying in a market like this, effectively in a buyer's market, than they are in a seller's market. So in a seller's market, there's competition to push prices up and fear of missing out kicks in and there's a very real fear of missing out because other buyers will buy the property. At the moment in a flatter market, if somebody's still very emotional about a property, they'll experience fear of missing out even though they probably don't have a fear of missing out. Do you get my drift? Do you think yes. that that happens more often that sometimes buyers still act at times and, and I see agents manufacturing pre-auction offers because mm. they're aware of this. They're aware of the buyers, are they're shadow boxing effectively with, with other buyers that aren't really existing. Mm. But if they actually get to auction, they're going to realise they're the only buyer there. Yeah, I think, again, this market, um, particularly the unit market, for example, has come off and it's, it's, everyone knows it you know, the buyers mm-hmm. that come through. And even if there is, a, and this is, again, the agent picking up and knowing, do you have an emotional buyer there? Often you'll see a couple that walk through and the wife or someone will go, oh, I love it. Or, you know, they're there for a bit longer and they're starting to really look at space and measuring up and so forth. So you, you've kind of got a bit of a hook there and know that <laughs> you've got a buyer. Are they overpaying? I don't think a lot of these buyers are coming in in this market at the moment with offers straight away, they're happy to hold out and wait or what we're finding is they're happy to go to auction and see the transparency and then see what are they prepared to pay in the in the current market depending on the competition of what they're, they're bidding against. Interesting yeah. that you talk about those emotional signs though because certainly buyers often try to keep their cards close to the chest. They think it's being smart by not letting the agent know when they're really seriously interested in a property. And obviously there's ways of letting the agent know without that emotional demonstration, you know what I mean? So are you saying that a bit of it's nonverbal or unconscious even that that these buyers don't even realise that they're giving away these signals? Oh, there's always a lot of unconscious. Yeah, for sure. I think there's little telltales in the dialogue and, and, again, this is what 
our job. This is our profession. This is what we've got to be able to pick up on. You've been around a long time. Like you said, you, you know, you're experienced and, and expert at doing this. And yet, you know, we see a lot of agents, that, the experienced agents, they've got a whole team of minions around them that are at the open houses. I mean, I guess how many opportunities are missed by some of those less experienced agents being at the open houses? I mean, it really comes down to who's there, doesn't it? Who's reading that? Yeah, it does. And it's something like I'm big with training my team about it as well as as much as possible, any signs to look out for in the dialogue. It's not often that we will sell a property and then get a phone call from someone to say, oh, you didn't call me. Mm -hmm. Most people will either ask for a contract or say, keep me in the loop. And we will note all of that down. We'll make sure that everyone's given a call before anything's going to exchange or we're in negotiations yeah, we've seen that a few times on you know through this podcast is that buyers aren't making themselves clear enough and one of the good ways of doing that is just asking for a contract just to you put put it out there. You talked about auctions there and are you still seeing that that's what you're moving towards still? Obviously that's been the way that things have been for you know, the last six or seven years. Oh, look, it is. It's, it's changing a little bit. Um, Even the days we had um a discussion about what day are we going to have the auction? Should we mix it up a little bit at the moment? So, um. <laughs> I don't know. It was well, one of our, you know, one of our head team uh, salespeople, he sort of said, oh, I'm going to throw in a few different, maybe bringing in a little bit earlier or in the evening yep. um, rather than having the Sunday for buyers to have a think about it, that it's still we're only just going into the next business day. I haven't gone down that path yet, <laughs> but I do still believe in auction mm. um, of having a date to work towards and there's still that opportunity to sell before auction. Um, and on the day of auction, I think it's important even for us as estate agents and vendors and the buyers, it is. It's a, it's a bit more of a telltale of okay, how is the market responding mm-hmm. to price. I mean, because l- let's face it, owners always want the most amount of money for their properties. It's human nature mm. and buyers never want to pay the most amount of money. How do you manage when you know you've got an owner that wants more than you think buyers are prepared to pay? I've would have that up front, I will know. I, I, I don't list property if they've got a, a figure that's not realistic in mind. If there's something where I've got it wrong and we all get it wrong, the pricing, I will be the first to put my hand up and sit down and say, okay, this is what's happening at the moment. Or, I mean, so often other properties will come on the market that's become in competition. So mm-hmm. when you were first signing that yeah. property up, yep. Then all of a sudden you've got competitors that are underquoting grossly in this market as well. So it's managing that. And it's also, I guess, I know my competitors. I know what their tactic skill is quite often, whether yep. they are going to underquote or whether something's overpriced. But it'll be sitting down and talking it through. So I do a lot of face-to-face meetings with my clients. It's quite funny you said about new properties coming on the market because a lot of sellers think they want to sell on a certain date because that's going to be the best date to sell. And so <laughs> mm. they try to time it on this, you know, big weekend or et cetera. Yeah. But sometimes you're at the risk of selling it when there's a lot of other people trying to sell, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I just look, even last month, what did we have? We had, it was the end of the school holidays. There was the Anzac public holiday. I worked right through it and I just thought, you know what, we just got to keep going. Yeah, there's no reason to stop for any particular reason. I wouldn't necessarily start a campaign on the school holidays. Mm -hmm. And if so, if I did, it might be a five-week auction campaign rather Mm -hmm. than a four-week auction campaign. So it's, I mean, there's strategy, but at the end of the day, um, I think auction, 
rather than having it on a fixed price, and particularly in a market where prices are changing, you you could have a fixed price, but is it under? Is it over? Whereas auction, there's a guide there. There's that ten percent range, mm-hmm. and I feel that. If there's something with a date and an auction, more buyers are going to go to that open house inspection because there's a time frame that's been rather than going to an open house that, okay, well, that's on for that price. We could go and see that one next week or on Wednesday. So it bringing, brings that sort of sense of scarcity and the urgency into it. I, I just want to rewind a little bit. You, you said that you train your, your team mm-hmm. in, you know, in the arts, if you like, of identifying behavioural or, or giveaways, I guess, that buyers or signs that buyers give yep. that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, okay. So I'll give you an auction, for example. Auction by behaviour. It's a. This is the best way to be reading the marketplace. Yep. And so a common thing, even when I give auctions, uh, the, the bidders are tips, for example. So I may, whether it's another agent's auction or whether it's my own auction, I'll often offer one party perhaps a tip. So what I would do is, uh, firstly, I say, don't drink any coffee because your heart rate's going to go through the roof anyway <laughs> and make them feel comfortable to know. But that's the same with everybody. It's often the estate agent's heart's racing fast because they've got a job to perform and a result to achieve. The neighbours, everyone starts to cross their arms. So I said just, and depending on what the market's like, so in a hot market, for example, get there early and register, get your register registration over and done with so that if it's a husband and wife, for example, you're a team. One party stays at the registration table or nearby to see who else is registering. <laughs> That's right? a really good tip there, guys. Oh, Keep going. That is it always amazing so, just on that because I do that. We and All my team, we always get there and even other buyer's agents. I see them rock up at the 11th hour and I think, what are you doing? Yeah, why? so much information you get by being there. That is the big thing because mm. good agents will be working the auction floor, okay, You'll soon know. So no matter what the dialogue's been with a real estate agent to say, oh, yeah, we've got six contracts out or we've got ever, you're going to know how many contracts are out come auction day. (laughs) If you've watched your registration table to know who has registered. Then the important thing is watching the body language. So it's not all about the auctioneer. Let the auctioneer go in and do their thing. But where I find it's really important is watching the body language of the people that you're going to be competing against. So quite often everyone will stand there with their hands, you know, crossed and folded. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A husband and wife team, once it gets down to the nitty-gritty, you can see their bidding starting to change. So they may start off in 20s, but then it's like they stop. The auctioneer is really trying to draw something from them and they might suggest, can I bid a a five or a one? So for me it's... It's watching that body language or you'll see a husband and wife team start crossing their heads going, no, no, the wife will go, don't do it, don't go anymore. (laughs) So, again, if you're more focused on where your competition are, you don't give away too much. You just stand there. It could be cocky with one hand in the pocket, your registration card out, your vocals so the auctioneer doesn't need to follow you for anything and constantly give the same you know, it might be just increments of $10,000 bids. And if the auctioneer doesn't want to take your $10,000 increment, and there's a lot of other registrations there, don't be afraid to just say, well, come back to me when you're ready to take my 10. Let him just keep working the rest of the floor. But you just keep going. If you, in Sydney anyway and in the Northern Beaches, if you win over $9,000 or $10,000, it's nothing in the big scheme of things. Mm-hmm. But you're not giving away anything. You're just standing there and you're often the confident person who's got that endless bucket of fives or tens, whatever. So just go very prepared 
prior. Mm -hmm. I see it with a lot of people that have experience with buying property or who have got the finance and might be a bit cocky that I can do this, but they crumble. When it comes to auction day, there's a lot of emotion. There's pressure. They've got the family there sometimes. But if they've got a real plan of attack beforehand, it can go in there. And auction's theatre. Mm. It really is. It's, it's, it, there are. You can actually scare off your opposition by being that person who's got the endless bucket. And so often when I go and work a crowd and someone has done that, People say, oh, no, we're just going to stop now because we know mm. that person's just going to yeah. keep going. Whereas yeah. I've gone to that person when they've secured it and I said, was that it? And they go, that was my last bid. You know, that <laughs> yeah. was the absolute last one. But they played it so well. Yeah. So, Do you think where you mentioned there about the partner go to, say, the registration table, mm. when they finish there, do they come and join their partner or yeah. should they just go jump in the car or, or No, because they've out? got to watch the body language. They know who's registered. Mm. So that's where the team effort is, is even if they decide that, you know, they're going to end up bidding or the the, the other mm-hmm. the husband, say, for example, is going to bid, the the wife's job is to be watching the body language. So she may just, she may even go, okay, they're all out. We're getting down to keep, you know, so just yep. to keep the confidence and keeping a husband to say, just keep it consistent, another 10, vocally strong. Yeah. And so you've yep. given that advice to buyers. How many have been able to actually follow through on it, you think? Um, <laughs> a lot. It, it, you know what? It's really interesting. It's um, I had one recently and this girl didn't want to bid. She wanted her father to bid for her and I gave her confidence to say, look, come on, do it. You may not get it, but give it a crack. And mm-hmm. I gave her those exact tips. I said, this is what to look out for. And that's funny. There was a whole little congregate of other people outside the front door who were there sort of listening in who were just, I knew none of them were registered, you know, they were neighbours. <laughs> so uh, it was good. Like the neighbours are hearing as well. And it was a it was a cracker auction, but thank goodness she did bid as well and didn't let her father do it, which is another thing because the father was standing there going, no, don't go anymore, don't go anymore. And I would take go at her going, look at me, look at me. So you're the uh, selling agent in I'm, this case. Yeah, I'm the selling agent. I'm going, don't look at your dad, look at me. Oh, I go, dear. you want. And then I'm just reminding her, I go, the beach is just across the street. Like, And I, I knew her boyfriend wanted the property as well. She didn't end up securing the home. She did start to crumble with her bids and she bid it against herself at one time. So again, the nerves. Mm. But we only got to have a little quick pre-chat, but it gave her enough the experience to go through that and have confidence that she can be because I then said to her you did so well Mm -hmm. even at the end when everyone packed up and left and they walked out I just went up to her and her family again I just said look you're going to get the next one I'm like you bidded don't ever give up on your bidding you bidded so well and she did Mm -hmm. she did follow a lot of what the suggestions were. Do you see then that people who are nervous about bidding actually don't bid when they could bid? Yeah, absolutely. Mm, That's where quite often as an agent, you know, or a buyer's agent, you've got to put your hand up for them or sit down and say, can I do this bid for you? You you know, you're giving me authority. Yeah, they're nervous. So, Uh, Well, I mean, it's just interesting because obviously this is, you know, we we want buyers to learn from this podcast Mm. and, you know, we've had auctioneers on here talking about what goes on and the tactics that they make to get people confident to bid. And this is an example, obviously, as an agent that's got the trust of the buyers and so you're giving the buyers coaching. And I listen to it with a a mix of 
yep, you're absolutely right, spot on. And the other half of me is going, oh, my God, of course she bid well because she helped you get a great yeah, prize yeah, yeah. for the property, you know what I mean? But buyers have to take it seriously. They can't rock up. And I think the one thing you said about coffee, that's interesting. I think don't drink the night before. That's something that. Yeah, and alcohol. <laughs> don't drink, yeah. yeah. I mean, that'll be part of the conversation before but yeah more yeah. so coffee I'm not thinking the alcohol but I should that's a good tip <laughs> um, I used to love it when I was a selling agent you see someone rock up with a hangover and you're the one buying this property yeah. your guards down yeah yeah I think too though I mean going back to that girl she missed out but she nearly got it the other person that we were working with was on the phone while his son and daughter-in-law were in New Zealand so he was doing phone bids, so the auctioneer was very good in giving him time to go and make a phone call. Again, you could turn up to an auction where you don't have a good auctioneer that doesn't give you that time and is too quick and ready to put the hammer down, mm. whereas she could have potentially have bought that property. So, you know, there's a little bit of, yes. There are a lot of variables, aren't they? And I think, and luck is involved too. It's who rocks up. I was, I was just hearing in the office before we came along here today, a property in Roselle actually that had sold at auction and it was all over LinkedIn, you know, being a big, big price and all the rest of it. Apparently the buyer rocked in that day, never seen it before mm. and, and signed up an, at a weatherboard cottage, no less, and bought it. And as a vendor, you go, that's fantastic luck. Yeah. As the underbidder, you think that's shocking luck, you know, but yeah. whoever's going to predict that sort of stuff and it does happen in property, uh, doesn't it? It happens. It doesn't happen often, but it mm. does, it does happen. And, and likewise with the auctioneer, it's like, you know, the agent may have the auctioneer may be having a bad day or it might be that the auctioneer is just not that skilled or or they got sick and the junior came in or, you know, I mean, there's there's mm. all this, these variables that can happen. So, mm. so, so it's been the first time I've actually really noticed when I'm looking online now that, you know, in, in certain suburbs that some property are actually saying price reduced mm. and, um, you know, agents are basically, you know, resetting price and you can actually yeah, watch it over the space. Happening. And, you know, obviously that's because, you know, the market's moving and buyer feedback, I guess, is, is different. Mm. If you were going to present an offer to an agent to buy a place, what's some of the ways that buyers behave that you really think, well, this guy really, well, this girl knows exactly what they're doing here and I really appreciate this type of offer? Look, I think really outlining all your terms and conditions with that. So getting complete clarity first. I think it's important for buyers to sound out what does the vendor want? What is the vendor situation? Why are they selling? Do they need to sell? Um, do they want a longer settlement? Because, again, that's a negotiation tool. They may have already bought and want to sell something, you know, want to sell pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the strong position as the buyer to go, well, yeah, I can offer long or short because I'm renting, mm-hmm. again, that just puts you one hurdle in front. So put your terms, your conditions, and also if there is a closure time, I think it's really important to when you're going to make an uh, an offer to be careful and mindful of when you're going to do it. You don't want to do it on a Friday afternoon when the agent is then going to use your offer to tell everybody else at the Saturday's open house inspection, this is where we're up to at the moment, mm-hmm. as much as they may say they've got all good faith to keep that confidential. Yep. So, so it what is would timely. be a good day to, to make the offer then if Friday afternoon's not? Would Friday morning, would Thursday? Well, would... I think, again, sounding out what the vendor situation, is the vendor going to be in a position to sign a contract on Friday? Mm-hmm. Are they prepared to do something okay. on Friday? And at what price level are they prepared to sell at? What are we talking, you know? Or do they want to have Saturday's open house inspection to get a little bit more feedback from the marketplace before they take an offer on a Friday? Mm-hmm. So don't give away anything you get clarity of exactly what is your vendor situation because quite often an agent will negotiate and try and get offers from you 
and then you might be expecting that we can exchange it that day or you haven't seeked clarity of the situation and then the vendor's actually on a plane in Brisbane, got to fly back and he's not coming back until Monday or... One little buyer tip there, you know, making an offer is, you know, are they actually... Do they, can they actually exchange that day? Have they actually got the ability to sign the contract? Yeah. You know, they might be flying. They might not be around. Before you even yeah. make the offer, probably a good idea to ask that question because mm. if you go in there with nice and hard at 9 o'clock and, you know, I want you've got till 5 o'clock to take this offer and here's my 66W. <laughs> and and then they, they can't sign. They so can't they're sign. flying above Abu Dhabi on their way to Paris, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not uncommon. So, yeah. so commonly, you know, people, I mean, we usually, again, we've got clients that are going away, so we've got them pre-signed contracts before they go mm-hmm. and a couple at that stage in case anything changes. <laughs> but you do. It's not uncommon where people find out that the vendors aren't even around to sign a contract anyway mm-hmm. and, boom, open house has to happen. New person looks at the property. This is what we've got at the moment. You're going to be have to be stronger than that. You've got to move quickly. So, yeah. it's it, That's excellent tips. Certainly now you're giving away some of the the gold that buyer's agents or a good buyer's agent will will use. We talk about logistics, you know, make sure you've got the logistics sorted out because if you can't physically exchange, then there's absolutely no point, especially going in with a deadline. Everyone talks about going in with a deadline. It's, that's fine, but make yeah. sure that deadline is possible. And solicitors, one of the big things mm. is a Friday, so many solicitors knock off and head away for the weekend or play golf or (laughs) still at lunch and aren't prepared to sign a 66W or can't be contacted for, you know, everyone is so renowned for leaving all their questions to the last minute. So really you've got to be prepared. And a 66W is a certificate that a solicitor or conveyancer will sign that allows the buyer to waive the cooling off period. Mm. And they'll, they'll be different in terms of their requirements before they're prepared to sign it as well. Some solicitors will insist on sitting down with the client and going through the contract. Others are happy to actually give a written... Yeah, a scanned um, copy. Yeah, or, or a written advice or others are happy to do give verbal advice and then they'll issue a 66W. So, you know, those requirements can vary from, mm. from one practitioner to another. So. And that's something I'll pre-frame with a buyer as well because sometimes, you know, the vendor does want to see how the Saturday open house inspection goes. And I could always advise my my vendor to say, you know what, I think you should take this. But at the end of the day, we're representing them and it's I respect whatever their decision is. And sometimes they don't make the right decisions, mm. but we can only guide them as best as possible. So I will prepare the buyer to say, look, keep your offer close to your chest because tomorrow we're going to have an open house inspection no matter what you do today. But why don't you get your solicitor to provide you with a 66W certificate because on Saturday I will try and meet with my vendors to get this across the line for you as well. Hmm. And you can be sure that if I've got other people that are interested, they're not going to be ready and in a position with a 66W certificate on a Saturday. So that's just another little tip on the side for buyers being prepared. Maybe you're not just better waiting, you know, for Friday. Be there at the end of the open house inspection or ask the agent, when are you going to be available? What what time does your day finish? And, and yeah, I-, I find that with the first time they're going to buy a 66W is, you know, potentially something they've never heard of before. Mm. And, you know, I'll get a call and saying, well, they want to go unconditional. I've got to sign this 66W. And for them to get their head around whether they should do it or not, it's actually sometimes a really big deal because from a finance point of view, because the finance is never really formally approved until the valuation's done. And so then we've got to talk through, well, how does that actually work, whether it's a risk or not that they're willing to take. And I think over the last six years, pretty much every property I imagine that's a decent property in Sydney that's selling pre-auction 
has probably sold with the 66W. So has it always been like that in agent land that 66Ws for good properties is kind of the thing that's always happens or <laughs> agent land. Uh, in, uh, yeah, look, it, it is a you know when when you exchange a property, you don't really want to be doing it with a cooling off. You know, people have made a decision; they should have their finance in place and be in a position to do it. Well, we let's are wind finding it back a little bit. You, you've yeah. got to remember that you're in a, an auction oriented area, mm. and so the idea is to effectively buy under auction conditions. So it's like simulating auction conditions, isn't it? Correct. So because you're not going to take your property off the market and give it to a buyer with a five day cooling off period, and that just stuffs your auction campaign. Yep. But in other areas of Sydney and other areas of Australia that yep. aren't so auction, oh, actually it's only New South Wales that a 66W applies in any way. But so I just I just want to step mm. in there because obviously in your area it's it's a com- very, very yeah, common thing. It's common but we're also finding now with it not being a hot market, it's more a buyer's market than yep. a vendor's market that and lending capacities have changed yep. that we are a lot more open to now going back to cooling off periods and giving people that little bit more time that they need. So if it means securing and getting a, a deal negotiated that's both happy for the, the vendor and the buyer, but the buyer just needs a little bit more time, then so there's a tip we're a bit buyers. more open to it. Yeah, so they can be prepared to sign and offer a cooling off period and it may be favourably um, looked upon for a change. Yeah, well, not necessarily favourably, <laughs> but it might. They may still have a, yeah, they, they could secure it anyway. Yeah. And it's it's if you can, it's not a bad option because if you are only losing 0.25% of the purchase price. Um, so that, know, and just to step in again for listeners, that, that is the penalty. So if, if you exchange contracts in New South Wales, if you exchange contracts with a five-day cooling off period and you back out within those five days, then you do have to pay a penalty, which is 0.025% of the price that you've offered. You yeah. can ask for an extension though. Yes. So if you do get to the end of five days and you're still like for the one that I exchanged and it was Anzac Day, um, so they weren't quite ready on the Tuesday. It was a public holiday on the Wednesday and then they had until 5 p.m. on the Thursday. So there was an extension of one or two days. No, I'm actually doing that right now. Clients come to me a little bit too late getting the documents ready and the bank's processing times are a little bit blown out and then they've got a few complications with things and I know that it's not a straightforward assessment for the bank. But, you know, they've got a property. And so what we negotiated was was a 10-day cooling off because mm. I know that 10 days, you know, much more realistic for these guys. And then also what I did is the first thing is to get the agent on board with me, the broker, to basically say, look, I'm here, I'm your friend, I'm here to help the buyer here. Yeah. Can we just, I'm going to keep you up to date along the whole journey. Yeah, and that's the importance of a good broker too, though. So yeah. again, as an agent, I want to establish who are they doing their financing through because there's good just as there are in a state agent world, in mm-hmm. broker world, there's um, there's <laughs> good true. and bad. And <laughs> if the more confidence I have, if I know who I'm dealing with and someone that's going to keep me in the loop, then again, I can assure my clients that I have confidence that this is fine. It's just a process that we have to go through. That is a really good point, actually, that, you know, from a buyer's perspective of putting themselves forward as a good prospect for you to, you know, to the agent deal with me, negotiate with me because I've got a good support team. I'm using a really good solicitor or conveyancer, someone who's right on the ball and really proactive and not getting getting in the way of a deal. Or, you know, I've got a great broker or even better, of course, if you've got a good buyer's agent. But I think that that is, you know, you as a selling agent obviously has more confidence in that buyer, right? And so likewise, as you say, you go to your vendor and say, look, you know, we're going to give anyone a cooling off period. That's the buyer you want to give it to, right? Mm. Yeah. 
Each week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do, dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. So please, Georgie, help our listeners out here. Give us an example of a property dumbo because we can all learn what not to do from these stories. Okay, so this is a couple who I have recently came to an auction, but I've been trying to help these people from seven years ago. And I cannot believe, I I think there must be, someone's obviously rattled their feathers. They missed out on opportunities back then because they thought the market was going to slow down or crash and it doubled, it literally doubled within now in the last six years in the Manly area. And they've never bought? And they didn't buy. Mm -hmm. And they're back again now buying. They're not returning agents' calls. So they're known within our office of people that just, they don't call you back, they don't da-da-da-da. So they're not. Griswolds. They're they're not through. (laughs) Are they real buyers? Are they ever going to buy anything type thing? So anyway, I have, um, I've sold for several of their friends before. So I've built a bit of a relationship with them Mm -hmm. and they had an opportunity to buy a property that I was selling recently at a price that was, the vendor was prepared to sell. Anyway, they risked and decided that they wanted to go to auction and they missed out on it. And I just like, why? You know, they're not following the advice of an A. I'm not just a, you know, a goof in the marketplace. This is something where I really do sincerely want to help them. But I. So they've double bluffed themselves, basically. Yeah, they're just. Some people. I think I'm hoping now. I think I I followed up with him during the week and and actually he didn't return my call and I think I sent him an email and he did reply and it was basically that he will, you know, he'll touch base and we will talk more when something comes up, they're going to come, you know, ask me for some advice on it. So hopefully I mean, that is definitely time. a dumbo. I think, oh. you know, when, <laughs> you know, the time's right yes. and this is really the time to actually push the button. Well, actually seven actually, years ago it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, In that I, case. You know, I, I do think that's yeah, sometimes happens with, with people very early on in the journey and they find that dream property and everything's right, it ticks all the boxes, but it's just too early. And it's the same scenario where they just go, oh, it's all right, a better one will come. Yeah, and um, then they can't stop thinking about it and they resort back to that one from years yeah. ago. Oh, and God. It's like oh. you snooze, you lose. Yep. Very <laughs> yes. good. Well, look, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your experience, and that experience about those four dumbos as well. Really appreciate your time, Georgie. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Okay, bye. See you, Bates. See you, Bates. Batesy. <laughs> we want to make you a better elephant rider. So this week's elephant rider training is... We want to look further into what Georgie said about properties that sell well in a hot market versus those that don't sell well in a slow market. I really thought what Georgie was saying was very interesting because it's one of the principles or the characteristics that we look at when we're trying to work out what's going to be a good capital growth performer versus what's not. And so in my business, we do assess and we do score properties on that potential. And fundamentally at the heart of it is the essence of what Georgie just said, which is the difference between what goes off in a hot market versus what doesn't go off in a soft market. Now, the difference being that In a soft market, buyers get picky because they don't have to make compromises in order to get into the market. So for argument's sake, in the suburb in which my office is in Balmain, there's a street that's really busy. And we notice that 
in a slow market, those properties will sit on the market for a long, long time. Whereas in a hot market, they'll go to auction and they'll get competition on them. And the reason they get competition in a hot market is because buyers are panicking and they think that that's the only way they're going to be able to afford to buy into that suburb. So it's a really important thing to think about. And it's very important that you stop and think about it when you are buying. Am I getting carried away with this? Am I bidding for this property or, or thinking I have to pay a top price purely because I don't think I can afford anything else in the suburb? Or is this really a quality property? Will it sell well in all market conditions? It's a very important question to ask. And I also thought it was really important to, to note that Georgie said that that's the advice she'll give buyers that are buying other people's listings, but she doesn't give that advice to buyers buying her listings because at the end of the day, her job is to overcome those objections and to focus on the positive. So just be very mindful of that. But this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp is understanding those characteristics that'll make a property more difficult to sell when the market slows down. So Veronica, what have we got to add to our Elephant Memory Bank this week? Well, since we've been talking so much about auctions during this episode, I'm going to pop my ebook in there, which is How to Master Auctions and Buy Like a Pro. It will outline not only some of those tips that Georgie gave, but also the lead up to that in how to set your limit and work out what a property is worth. I think very, very important that all people bidding at auction do that. So check our website, theelephantintheroom.com.au. Look at the show notes for this episode and we'll include the link. Please join us next week with Kieran Schwagerhofer from Made Comfy. I hope I said that right, Kieran. It was a really interesting conversation around Airbnb, what's working, what's not, how the state government's changing the rules and how one company could help you actually manage Airbnb successfully. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk, editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Me again. We're looking forward to spending more time with you and uncovering what's really going on in the world of real estate. Please subscribe. Be sure to send us a message, leave an iTunes review and tell your friends. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.